Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined in person by the Dudley Boys hey. of What Culture. Mike Pablo and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, you're a fan of this sort of thing. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Dressing on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. Oh! Pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bigger quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, I'm joined by Hanfel and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite. I am a little bit giddy because it's the first time we've all been back in a room together for about three weeks, it feels mm-hmm. like. But Sidge, um, a, a mixed bag sounds like a backhanded compliment. A roller coaster of a dynamite with a lot of highs. A lot of highs. The the lull didn't really last very long, and I thought the main event was tremendous. Oh. I'm the high guy on this main event. I thought it was unbelievable. Not like a five-star match or anything, just in terms of sheer action and compact exhilaration in a digestible package. I thought it was tremendous. Um, wasn't even the best part of the show. There were several candidates for that. The ugly stuff, while minimal, was particularly ugly. Usually the drab bit can sometimes go for like half an hour, and you're like, oh, yeah, man. It was like a short jolt of really ugly consecutive stuff and then it was just good again so i wouldn't say uneven i would say mostly excellent but my god the ugly stuff was ugly yeah I, i'm not going to repeat something uh, sorry i'm going to repeat something i said on twitter but i haven't got a catchphrase for it so what well, about the mega fans the partridge like sorry but i'm going <laughs> to sure forgive him i shut up and he cocked i uh, <laughs> i during that first hour last night and I loved a lot of the Dynamite first hours in the run-up to between All Out and Full Gear, which certainly felt like a bit of a, a peak period for AEW. So what, what cereal did you pair this with? I had some um, chocolate orange. Um, you know, they're called Crave, Kellogg's of the brand. Aldi. Ones, but, but the Aldi ones, the chocolate orange, they're, they're called like chocolate orange pillows, which is a lovely name for cereals <laughs> as well, but they're those little wheat things with chocolate inside, but they're orangey tinted. They're unbelievable. Sorry, just to clarify here, yeah, yes. you've been off uh, with with the, with the COVID, right? I had it, and then one of my kids yeah. and the wife had it. And you, you're all back to normal. That's yeah, great. It's, it's fantastic good. and Got all that. Taste buds back. And you and I are, along with Andy Murray, in a group attempting to lose weight, and yeah. you had what? Uh, chocolate orange cereal, but like, I'm trying to follow their instructions. You had it with skimmed milk, right? Did I pause? <laughs> Skim milk is a fraud. It's bollocks. It's what, it's what, just, it. get, just get green milk. It's a reasonable compromise yeah. in your life. Like, blue milk is great. Get, no, get blue milk. You get blue milk. Get yeah. blue milk. Oh, fancy. I've gone oat on uh, on hot drinks for the added flavour. Like, oh. oat, oat milk with a, with a latte is quite nice. Get involved. But uh, the box says 12 servings, and I'm actually going to try and keep it to 12, because I tend to complete those boxes in six. <laughs> Challenge accepted. It's like, you know, people post their Elden Ring stats. I should just post cereal boxes. I've done it. Get complete in six. So. <laughs> no, this was, um, yeah, I, I tweeted this last night. I was, I found the elements of the first hour so life-affirming yeah. that I started thinking of the people that still refuse to watch this because they're waiting for it to go rubbish. So they can be like, see, told you, told you it'd be absolutely <laughs> terrible. Like, yeah, you missed that one like three or four years of all of us losing our goddamn minds at this great wrestling show. Every theme that hit, every development, every action, everything that was teased over that, like I would say the first 45 to 50 minutes of the show was, and I've said phrases like this on these reviews before, the reason you watch pro wrestling. I'm... Um, more patient to WWE's ills than my esteemed colleague. But I know what I watched that for. I watched this for the best professional wrestling. And there was repeated, repeated examples of that over that first hour that just made me so glad 
that AEW existed. That's when AEW, I think, is at its best. When a theme music comes on, you're like, oh, it's this guy. We previewed the card yesterday. And I was like, it's this. I didn't know we had this. I did. Mm. I've just been allowed to forget because I was just so immersed in the last bit. It's magic when it's like that. I would agree with Sidgwick. I don't think that this was, wasn't necessarily a dynamite two halves. The lulls weren't long, but a couple in particular were so important that you make you angry because it took you away from the joy of some of the good stuff. Yeah, it was it wasn't something that ruined the entire show, but it was what's it called? What do diamonds have? The like the, the like issues with the diamond. Basically blood, like blood on them. No, no, there's like uh, some problems with it basically and it's like that takes away from the whole thing, but the, the whole thing is still far better than the other options. I want to give a shout out to is it Kevin Blackwood on Twitter I think it is. Mm. Uh, people will be like, AEW fans will pop for anything. Like, noticeably enjoying being at a wrestling show you paid to go to is a bad thing. <laughs> I love that take. It's just preposterous. It's just good. People are just good that people like it. Mm. it like, it will. It's okay. It will, and, like, it might rebound as well. It will go rubbish for, for like, a sustained period eventually. I There's a what. reason why we do the podcast like we did when months ago when everyone's like, oh, you paid WWE shills all of a sudden. Yeah. Where we're like, this isn't good. This needs to change. You know, this amount of interruptions or whatever it may be. Flaws. That's what the word I was looking for when it comes to diamonds. Um, yeah. And then when we have things like this, then that's the balance. Are you, you just... diamonds in the rough? Are you getting any metaphors? No, 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 no. Stuff? Like the, 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 the flaws in a diamond, basically, okay. is what I mean in terms of still a diamond. It's just got some issues with yeah. it. And uh, yeah, what, the reason why we do have the ones where we nitpick on on certain episodes of Dynamite is because you can have elements like this, like this first hour. Yeah, absolutely. Hold them to the highest standard and the highest standard will be maintained. Be honest, were you going to watch this live uh, before Tony Khan's tweet about Punk and Harwood? I got me to stay up. He absolutely got me to stay up. Like there, especially because he, I'm sure he alluded to it or I just made it headcanon in my own mind that this was going to open the show. I'm pretty sure he said, oh, like, he said it was we're going to kick Dynamite off of this. And I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised you managed to get a uh, flight to America that late, to be honest. Well, I know, yeah. This is the thing like the, and did you know they put the uh, the American food adverts on the big screen when you're watching Dynamite <laughs> in the building as well? Incredible. Uh, right, let's dive straight into it with uh, CM Punk versus Dax Harwood. Um, I love CM Punk cutting promos but I like watching him wrestle even more. So this was a, a fair compromise compared to what we preview. But stop tweeting after we've done the preview, Tony, okay? <laughs> Tweet a little bit earlier, mate. We're going to have to introduce a new component to the preview because this is a strategy that they've been doing for quite yeah. some time, the late-in-the-day announcement of something awesome so we can predict what awesome thing is going to happen <laughs> after we press stop record. Mm-hmm. It's one of the like the early um, NXT things, wasn't it? Early war strategy was them tweeting half the card at like half 11 at night over here before AEW Dynamite went on the air. Just to be like, I know you were going to watch this, but you've just updated your feed and this graphic's newer. Watch <laughs> yeah. it instead. Uh, so back and forth early on, but it's back and forth between Punk and Harwood, so it's always enjoyable to watch. Dax takes Punk into the sauna and just chops him a bit, but then Punk slams back and goes for uh, Harwood's arm. Dax uh, hits him with a knee lift, returning fire, and goes after Punk's neck and midsection. He's selling something from, what, two and a half weeks ago still? Yep. Brilliant. Uh, the gun club, dressed preposterously, are at ringside, heckling and sort of distracting Dax uh, to feed in something we'll get back to later on. Um... Dax goes for the diving headbutt, but uh, Punk moves out of the way. 
and uh, Punk hits Dax with a drop kick. That gets a near fall. They fight on the top rope. Uh, Punk sends Dax down to the mat and goes for the uh, big elbow drop, but Dax pops up immediately and crotches Punk over the top, ro- top rope. Superplex, and this time he managed to execute the diving headbutt for a two count. Um, Dax goes to suplex him, but Punk blocks it, and they do that bit where they both topple over the top rope, and I'm worried about everyone dying, to be perfectly honest. Out comes Cash Wheeler to support his mate, but they get back in the ring. Punk hits a diving crossbody when uh, Dax kicks out of that. He puts in the Anaconda device, but Dax manages to roll out and uh, goes with a sharpshooter. Then there's an exchange of cradles. Dax counters Punk's rising knee into this bonkers rope-bouncing powerbomb for a near fall. But then Punk hits his knee strike, goes to the GTS, but Dax blocks it and puts him in the sharpshooter. Punk manages to transition, though. Anaconda device, Dax taps, Punk celebrates and signals. (laughs) Well, if you're Excalibur, some title, one of the titles, the world title, he did a Hangman Page reference as well. Um, What are your thoughts on the opener, Hamlet? I, I thought this was beautiful. I thought this was absolutely beautiful. Um, this was, like as you've articulated there, just a really elegantly worked pro wrestling match on its own terms. Um, let's ignore a little bit that this this was, like, on the surface, going to be a love letter to Bret the Hitman Hart, booked as it was on the 25th anniversary to the day of Hart Austin from WrestleMania 13, which in itself was knowing because as like we've talked before about like Cedric's birthday match, but like Tony Khan, I'm not saying he does this stuff directly for us, but he is a wrestling fan that does this for other people. And he spotted this and the wrestlers themselves might have spotted it, asked for it, whatever. However, this came about, there was an immediate Bret Hart feeling in the air. And in reality, they didn't like labor too much on that in the match. Of course, there was elements. You knew there was going to be a sharpshooter. I liked even the attempt at the sharpshooter when Punk first tried to push the leg away. That was enough for me. And there was like other little details that they applied to the match. The uh, the suplexes that were being fired off were Bret Hart suplexes. The superplex in particular was a very Bret Hart superplex. CM Punk sells. I think I've worked out why I love CM Punk selling so much because this has been a feature of his comeback. CM Punk sells the match he's in, the feud he's in, and the seven years he took off all in one. That's that's what he's doing. And I think that's why I've been struggling to articulate what it is that has separated him from everybody else and just how great his selling is. Certainly in a way to try and describe it as a viewer. And you were watching him. You pointed out about like selling the pain of the, the dog collar match, which, oh my God, like that match is more dangerous than Blood and Guts in AEW law right now, the way that it was played yes. out, the way it was booked, executed, and the way that it's now being sold. But so he's selling that, right? He has suffered through that match. So he's selling the big CM Punk story, which is he's just come out of a Blood and Guts, uh, of a dog collar match, and he wants a title match. He's selling the intricacies of this specific match and the work that Dax has done to his various his back and his various other body parts and the wear and tear of a standard wrestling match, which is going hard, which is what these two are. And he's selling the fact that he is still, you know, relatively fresh off not doing this for seven years, mm. not falling down for seven <laughs> years and how much that must hurt to be back doing that. And the way he just weaves it all together, it never feels fake. It never feels um, a little bit like as it did earlier on. It's like, wow, he has just got a sweat on because this is physically tiring and he's new to this he's now performing grizzled i yeah i believe this to be him performing that version of selling rather than just oh christ that took you out on me darby this is this is all different this is the art like after christmas when you run up the stairs yeah this is this is the art of the work rather than physically just struggling through it uh dax harwood remains like one of the best ever singles wrestlers to be predominantly a tag wrestler i think <laughs> yes. there is just mounting evidence that dax harwood is the great singles wrestler that loves another form of wrestling more and more power to him another um, one for the tnt title list oh there's too many there are too many so this was just 
this wasn't a tribute to Bret Hart in spots. This was a tribute to Bret Hart in being f***ing excellent. <laughs> that was what this was. And fair play to them both. They tweeted afterwards, like, I love Bret more. No, I love him more. Bret Hart loves this more because he didn't necessarily need to see a love letter to himself like a certain other person does, as Cedric alluded to. He needs to see great wrestling because that's what he loves and that's what this was. Um, yeah, CM Punk, yeah, Excalibur. CM Punk is probably gesturing for Hangman Page's title because he doesn't want one with jizz encrusted on it. <laughs> loved this. Couldn't have loved it more. I couldn't have loved it more. It wasn't a match of the year contender in terms of its quality, but then I also loved it to death, can't find a single fault with it, and thought it was absolutely perfect for what it was. Yes, it never veered into Bret Hart cosplay, which the most cynical observers might have thought it was going to. They obviously did some SummerSlam 1991-inspired sequences with the headlock takeovers and the like, but never, other than the sharpshooter tease, it was just, it wasn't cosplay, it was just working a Bret Hart a match that Bret Hart would love rather than a Bret Hart match. I was so full of praise for this because it was just so compact and it did everything it had to do without compromising itself. They sold everything so well and yet never to the detriment of like a really furious, blistering pace. Like It's just genius craftsmanship of the likes of which you can't really analyze that well or better than they can just simply get on with doing it wasn't spectacular and blew away in terms of action and the moves, but everything was threaded together so nicely. It didn't waste anything either. You couldn't there spot were, the space between, could you, ever? No, and there was bits where like they were exchanging near falls with cradles, and it was like 2.99. Not a single finisher kickout or head drop or any sort of sometimes abused and cheap tactic to generate a pop was necessary because they're so good at the timing and the when to do things mm. and to when to put certain things in a match and how to build a match. Furious, blistering 12-minute TV match, except the selling was absolutely otherworldly. This is just absolutely fantastic professional wrestling. Perfect for the medium, for the slot, uh, for the story. It was just unbelievable. Like CM Punk has spent seven years away much of it, and I'm going to say this on Twitter because I will get likes, but the mega fans will forgive me. He spent seven years away in reality doing horror movies, UFC fights, the training to do UFC fights, mm -hmm. writing comic books. Attempting to get in the podcast game, but it's not cut out for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and when he's not doing those things, he's been not watching or investing in professional wrestling. Mm. He's operating at a level with the minutiae of his craft and how great he is at it, is if he spent those seven years doing nothing but trying to perfect the art of doing it, yes. like that's how good he is. Remember the conversations? I, like This is going to sound overly critical of Punk, and I don't mean it to. But remember the conversations when he'd been gone long enough that, and this, is, this would happen to a lot of people, this is not on Punk, that it sort of felt like wrestling had passed him by. The style that CM Punk... I honestly thought he was a bit overrated at one point. There was him and Brian having these matches in WWE, which were obviously a level above what most of WWE could present because they were a level above. But then WWE itself like through NXT and through everything else sort of propelled itself into the next decade of professional wrestling. Mm. It sort of felt like CM Punk was very much of the prior one. He hasn't compromised that and yet feels like he belongs more to this than he did WWE. It's this the strangest thing that he's managed to capture. Nobody expects, nobody expects CM Punk to go out there and work a Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson style thing, but his matches are all the better for it. He is providing his version of great wrestling to the 
This this is the be- this is AEW's buffet at its best. Yeah, I was going to say because the things that you can be critical about the buffet, the bad faith actors and the people that don't like wacky stuff or whatever. That's when you can be like, oh, but yeah, does it really need to be buffet? Can it not just be a wrestling show? This is the buffet. He wouldn't but with have Michelin worked star in star quality food and all you can eat. He wouldn't have worked in old NXT, for example. I don't think. No, I don't like. I, maybe he would have. I love these matches so much. I think they'd be so welcome. They'd have been welcome on maybe, one yeah. of the worst excess takeovers. They'd have been very very welcome, but. Yeah, he, he seems to fit having not tried to um, speed up or like look at a PWG thing and think, right, I need to do more of that. I don't get that from Punk at all. And there, it would be completely understandable if you'd have thought, what if he's had a bit of FOMO? What if he's got a bit of panic or a bit of ego or vanity? And we know he's, you know, he's fueled by ego you know, at some points in his career. I just, I don't know how he's... It's Dark Arts Wrestling Wizardry. I, I don't know how he's doing it, but I love watching him do it. It's a ge- it's, he's a genius. He's a professional mm. wrestling genius. To take that out on Twitter, and again, the mega fans will forgive me if they remember this one, is that it's as if he's wrestling with every technical sensibility that he had in Ring of Honor, and he's just stepped out of Ring of Honor and learned how to work a perfect TV match. Mm. It's like the WWE thing almost hasn't happened. It's... It's bizarre, but it's incredible. So Jericho Appreciation Society are backstage. We see a photo of Johnny Hungy hanging out with Chris Jericho when he was uh, when he was just a wee boy. And uh, Jericho says, oh, it's a big moment for you, but you're just not on my level. Um, Garcia cuts a promo and shows tonight. says tonight we'll give you an example of why a ugh, wrestler <laughs> is going to get their ass handed to them by a sports entertainer. Um, Jericho says he's going to future endeavor Silver and Reynolds. Uh, just like they did to Santana and Ortiz, there is a w- wonderful moment with, uh, I'm giving them the names, Daddy Magic and uh, Cool Hand Ange, um, <laughs> where they check behind the curtains to see if they're going to be attacked by Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. And Jericho says that they're nowhere to be found. And we're the reason for that, basically. They're never coming back. And that's entertainment. This is great. We were putting over, because we're Marks who talk about this before we press record, the, the curtain bit. When they were peeking through the curtains, where are they? Where are they? Well, in like one or two weeks' time, you're going to see Eddie Kingston's face behind the <laughs> curtain, and he's going to headbutt them, and it's going to be tremendous. <laughs> there, there are many um, talents that obviously WWE shouldn't have released for a variety of reasons, but I hear myself saying this all the time on podcasts. You are measured in WWE by how well you can elevate bad material. They're doing bad material on purpose and making it fun. The curtain stuff is bad material. But in WWE, that would just be actually bad material, and Everize, as they once were, were there to elevate that they might be two of the stupidest drops off Nick Khan's spreadsheet ever, more so than some of the great wrestlers that we all mourn the loss of their matches because those two could have polished absolutely any turd that WWE mm. given them. Now they're doing it knowingly and it's even better as a result. I love Daddy Magic and Cool Han Ange so, so much. It, I think even more than I did when they were just this shining light in a dank, dark CWC. Get, seeing them, in, I, I just, I, I, like, I feel a bit like Jerry. I feel like Proud Dad. Like that, or Kevin Owens or something. I, there's something wonderful. Ma, like, Matt Menard's eyes are <laughs> how he escalates his fury over nothing and then calms himself down again and then goes again. I, I don't know how he does the things he does with his face. He's got that Taz uh, Frank Costanza thing. Where <laughs> yeah. Default mode is just like aggressive, and like lighting <laughs> yeah, in your face and like so quick and prone to a temper fit. It's just <laughs> awesome. Whilst looking resplendent in white. Oh, great, man. He's such a great shape. Is that yeah. Thing? There's two more things on the JAS. One, they're not going too hard on the meta. It works within both universes. It works as parody and as an act in itself. It's not too cute mm. and it's not too niche and too irreverent. 
So that's great. They are very carefully measuring out the little sports entertainment things without it being too much like pastiche. And another thing that I really like is that Jericho does not want to give up Judas, right? He <laughs> doesn't want to go full heel. He loves Judas too much. It's fair. I would like it too. But they have baked a cake, iced it, and they're eating it at present. With I mean, Jericho's Menards. not looking at him. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But Daddy Magic is continually doing the Judas thing, like, no, 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 we will take it away from you if you don't appreciate Chris Jericho. So they kind of they're having the cake and eating it too. It's measure, measure is the word, you know. Like, I, I keep comparing them in a circle, right? Jake Hager was an idiot, a dangerous, big, and violent idiot, but an idiot nonetheless. The inner circle were not idiots. In a circle were a big deal, and you were to fear them and be concerned about them. These are idiots. <laughs> like, <laughs> Danny Garcia is not an idiot, and he's biding his time, and this is absolutely an opportunity for him. The rest of them are complete idiots uh, in different scales of idiocy, but idiots nonetheless. And I think that's such an important distinction between these and the inner circle for where they are and where they're like exactly. what they're there to do in the in this company. Uh, we previewed the uh, tornado tag as wild, and we were quite correct in our prediction. It was the Hardys, Darby Allen, and Sting versus Private Party, the Butcher and the Blade, and the uh, record continues <laughs> with the Blade on Dynamite, of course. Uh, I apologise, I'm probably going to miss some of the bonkers spots, just like the cameras did, <laughs> which I felt genuinely sorry for them. Normally we sat there and go, Christ's sake, you know, whether it be in WWE or AEW, how do you not know to cut for this spot or whatever? But it was just like, oh, bollocks, something's happening over here, and there, and there, and Jeff. <laughs> and it's like the worst combination of people, in the best possible way, I mean. But like, because like Darby Allen's not going to go, okay, and we set ourselves, and then we go for the bonkers, you know, human lawn dart through the ropes. Jeff Hardy's just going to be like, okay, and we wait, and then we uh, throw ourselves like a crash test dummy at this guy who's just leaning on the barricade or whatever. It was just mad. So if I miss something, I do apologize. I mean, we started off uh, with a missile tope from Derby as a uh, private party in the Butcher and the Blade are making their entrance, and Sting does a top rope dive onto all of them. Your ass pounded by a 63-year-old <laughs> is never looked more impressive. Uh, and then, again, it just flits over, blades against the barricade, and Jeff just, just throws himself at him. Uh, Sting hits a stinger splash on, I think, Isaiah Cassidy on the outside. There's a great photo doing the rounds on Twitter of him mid-flight, I think, for that one. Uh, Darby and but Butcher brawl up. Uh, into the stands, continuing what happened on Rampage. Uh, and there's Andrade El Idolo to whip Darby with his belt. And then Butcher does that thing where he swings Darby around, bouncing him off like the concrete walls and the glass uh, uh, barriers, basically. And uh, then just power bombs him down some stairs because Darby Allen's bonkers. Um, uh, Matt sets uh, Isaiah Cassidy up for a side effect off the stage, but then Quen's there and he low blows him and they hit a double team side effect off the stage through a table. Uh, and we cut to the concourse. Jeff Hardy and Sting are there. They're fighting with Butcher and Blade and Darby shows up and they set him up on these, uh, what, they're selling t-shirts, I think, off the, on the tables there. Jeff Hardy not only climbs up a ladder, but then just climbs up a bit of the wall, basically. There's a... Not a deliberate thing, but there's a platform, like a girder built into the wall that Jeff Hardy just sort of shimmers along. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Swanton bombs both uh, Butcher and Blade through the tables. I have no idea what happened here. I assume Jeff Hardy's setting up and Sting was like, you got this, Jeff? Sweet. Sprints <laughs> back down to ringside. He comes back down uh, to, to the ring and, and he's fighting off Private Party. Um He's checking on Matt Hardy, who's been dragged to the ring by Private Party. Isaiah Cassidy hits him with a chair, and Sting no-sells it, no it and fires up, fights off both members of Private Party. 
who go for the gin and juice thing of theirs, uh, but Sting counters it into a scorpion death drop, and he hits that as Matt Hardy hits a twist of fate. One, two, three. Um, the the mad old lads win, basically. I, uh, I'm going to be the boring guy first before I get into a better mood. Give Sting two months off at this point because the finish was a little bit deflating. Let's be honest about this. It was a little bit like you were in this rush of ridiculous chaos and energy and fun. Like, fun is the absolute word for this. And then it was like, oh, the spell's being broken here because that was one ambitious spot too far. And I don't know if it's because he's been, like, hammering it for the past however many months from Holiday Bash and then the Acclaimed and then Revolution. Two months Two months because that was an ambitious spot too far. Everything else in this match was incredible. Like, I'm going to use a comparison for two purposes here. One, um, well, the comparison itself first. Triple H, X-Pac, and the Radicals. Mm-hmm. Not Eddie Guerrero because he'd been injured. Yep. Versus uh, Rock, Rock and Sock Connection, and Too Cool. Dallas Raw. The Dallas Raw. Yep. Known, before AEW came along, that possibly would have been remembered forevermore as one of the all-time great television matches. All those all-time great television matches just aren't really that great anymore. Like, <laughs> Sorry, like AEW has done far too many fantastic ones that it just feels like they wouldn't belong in any top 10 lists anymore. I would have 10 AEW ones, and it's because of reasons like this. This was not even the best match on the show, <laughs> and it's still kind of better than a lot of WWE TV matches that have been held in the highest regard for so many years. What I loved about that match, and I still love it, is there's a spot, right? And it's similar to the to the production problems, air quotes, that weren't problems. They were just features, not bugs. There's a spot in that 10-man Dallas Tag Raw, which is legendary, where The Rock reverses a Triple H suplex on the old vertical ramp, and he suplexes Triple H on the ramp. And you can hear the thud before Triple H hits the ramp. And that's because as couldn't possibly be captured by the camera at the same time, someone just swung a chair in someone's head. (laughs) (laughs) The match is better for how much is missed because of how chaotic and overspilling it is, and that was exactly the same kind of vibe here. Um, The Butcher, there was a moment where the Butcher started swinging Darby Allen about and threw him down some stairs, having followed the first match, which is a wonderful contrast and compliment to this one where I thought this could be the best Dynamite of all time because it was just so much goddamn fun, but it wasn't frivolous. Mm. It was a real genuine violent danger. The AHFO storyline ultimately has ruled. It has to have ruled. We've had two incredible brawls that almost, like, I can't think of a better example of the ends just to find the means more than this one in the last five years. And we're getting Andrade Derby. That will also rule. That'd be incredible. The Butcher and Derby Allen is the most unexpected legacy feud in AW, maybe ever, and I just want more of it. Dynamite next week, the Andrade match. The Andrade match yeah. is next week, yeah. The Butcher, like now, you're going to salivate every time there's even the p- possibility of the Butcher getting his hands on Darby Allen. If there's ever going to be a tag graphic <laughs> or a trios graphic or whatever, because I'm like, oh, it's them two, great. Like, they've established that off the back of all of this. Um, yeah, like, not a lot to add. Like, this, all of these images that we saw kind of spoke for themselves. You know, it wasn't about, this wasn't about psychology, nor should it have been. This was an abs- This was an attritional war between the two groups. Um, more than the obviously it's a cool visual seeing it happen outside like of the traditional area so you get this strange window ledge that Jeff jumped off and just looks good the colours and all that it just looks and feels different but Jeff does that with this kind of it's it's the ordinary to a psychopath like Jeff Hardy 
I loved the way he splattered into the blade to clothesline him over the barricade. That looked less Jeff Hardy than the Swanton. Mm. I have seen, like, I love it, of course, look at him putting his life on the line for us. But I've seen it a million times. I don't think I've seen him throw himself into somebody like he did the blade like that in forever. That was a guy that had, I believed, in the moment, the energy for a big old fight, not Jeff Hardy coming to work to do Jeff Hardy things. Mm. And I think that was the difference quite a few times over the course of both of these. I completely absorb in matches that make up for a storyline that was only half-baked, and there's still one more to come. Dax and Cash are backstage talking about Gun Club, uh, talking about wrestling from the heart, um, reference the ass boys thing, but they don't really want to go too much into that. Uh, talks about them respect, being grandfathered in, their puppies, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, they, uh, they're not spoiled brats, but, you know, you know, these people trying to take their spot. Anyway, regardless, Dax and Cash, they are the, they are the best tag team Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and they're going to see them next week on Dynamite. I, I adored this promo, you know. I don't just want to talk about um, people who the FTR like, in which case Bret Hart, more pink lighting, more heart, all this sort of stuff. I want to talk about people they don't like. Shawn Michaels, again. Um, did you see the way in which, I think it was Dax, might have been Cash, no, I'm pretty sure it was Dax, the way in which he had no choice but to offer the most begrudging of respect to Billy Gunn because what has he just spoken about recently? That infamous Raw 25 moment, that thing with Shawn Michaels and all their mates and they're, they're the real ass boys, DX are the ass boys, not Billy Gunn's kids. Like, he had to endure that and there's that ever slight, like, little bit of resentment. He's like, it's Billy Gunn, like, yes, he's a, he's a legend, inverted commas. I, I do respect him a bit because he's paved the way, but... I don't respect what he is or what he represents, and I certainly don't respect his kids. And I love like the little internal battle he had of whether or not to decide in that moment while talking down the lens at the Ass Boys whether or not to show respect and reverence to the dad because mm. he was in that ring on that night when everything like hit the wall like never before for them too, and what that all represents. I love babyface turns that happen through wrestling. Like I love this FTR babyface turn. Love it. They are wrestling matches, and they are just. They're not, they're not cheating. That's all they've done is stop cheating. Like, Dax coming out and giving it the to his partner in the middle of the match, like babyface stuff, and then Punk getting riled up by it as well. Like, where the camera shot Punk's face as it was happening, thinking, it's happened to me. Like, this is a babyface thing, isn't it? I love seeing people turn babyface through the through the act and the art of wrestling. It's magic. This this turn, this and obviously MJF kind of alludes to it later on, this whatever's next for FTR, I j I'm just gripped by it. Yeah, I'm absolutely on the hook. Absolutely on the hook. Dax Harwood is better for his flubs. He feels like a real human being feeling everything he says. And it's just so much better, yet again, than the polished, anodyne, searingly fake WWE scripted promo. They do this in WWE to try and avoid what Dax Harwood was doing. Mm. Why would you avoid? <laughs> Why would you avoid that? That's real emotion. That's what people get into. They are a stupid company. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a rest. Betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal.
personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Uh, then we got uh, Michael Sidrick's most anticipated match on this show, I think. Uh, the Varsity Blondes, the Varsity Blondes, not the Hollywood Blondes, uh, versus Brian Danielson and John Moxley featuring Grumpy Julia Hart sat on the steps with an eye patch on. Um, so Regal's there on commentary. She's shy. <laughs> and uh, Moxley and Danielson just get set on them the moment the bell rings, beat them both down. Pillman gets out of there, tags in Garrison, and he just gets wrecked by a German suplex immediately by Moxley. Uh, they dominate through the break when we come back, uh, release German suplex, a pile driver on Pillman. That all gets a near fall. Garrison, though, comes in. He fires up, chins him, uh, and they hit that sort of... It's not a heart attack. It's like a drop kick slam thing of theirs. The, the, the double team, basically. That gets them an earfall, but uh, that's enough for them. Uh, Danielson cuts it off with his uh, Busaiku knee. Uh, Moxley hits the paradigm shift. Again, as we've seen previously in, uh, in Danielson matches, the match is won. The match is over, guys. But no, they cave their heads in and then simultaneous submissions uh, get the victory for them. Post-match, Moxley gets a mic uh, and says, the only, uh, through it all, the only man whose opinion he cared about was William Regal's uh, and he's earned this opportunity uh, through blood, sweat, pain and torture, just like Danielson. They'd, you know, they'd gone through hell together to form this team. Um this message was for anyone who thinks that they've got what it takes to stand beside them. They aren't giving out any free passes. You need to reach down deep into your soul and find that place where you find pain. They are the Blackpool Combat Club. And the only way, Michael Sidgwick, is the hard way. Yes, it's absolutely awesome. My one tiny quibble about this entire thing, which from start to finish has just been absolutely exceptional, is that I thought Moxley in particular had been somewhat marginalized or reduced by all of this, considering he's the world champion. He's the guy who didn't get the same sort of effusive praise. Ringing endorsement, yeah. Ringing endorsement as uh, Danielson did. Don't like John Moxley getting slapped to no reply. I've, my only issue with all of this has been, huh, John Moxley doesn't feel like the John Moxley of 2020. And I adored that man, as we all did. And then he gets the mic. They, they know what they're doing. Let it play out. You dumb, specky, weak-chinned c- because if you just fucking <laughs> keep watching, uh, all your problems will eventually get solved. All your problems will eventually get solved. My one problem with this entire near-perfect thing has just become perfect. Match itself. Brian Pillman Jr. got lit up in the corner by Brian Danielson, and it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. But the best bit of violence in the entire match, again, Moxley was a little bit... Uh, He's wonderful at professional wrestling. He's a different professional wrestler than Brian Danielson, but he's kind of in there with Brian Danielson, whose stuff looks a bit better, to be honest. And then he just rocks Griff Garrison with a forearm, <laughs> where it's like, how have you not broken that poor bastard's jaw? It was awesome. So the best violence was administered by Moxley here and not Danielson. And he got the promo time. The Julia Hart stuff. Look, there's no goo yet. No. So it's fine. But it's a bit Alexa Bliss, and I hate Alexa Bliss, so let's be consistent there. I'm not that into it at all, if I'm being perfectly honest. Why is she still not in the House of Black? Like, it's been there from week one, and they've still persisted with this as if anybody really gives a... Just put her in the group. 
Panda got changed pretty quickly. And what I like compliment Moxley and Danielson here because like I, I don't have anything to add to how glorious it was watching the grizzly violence enacted on the the blondes, but um, this is the difference. They they're so good at this. Compare this to last week when their job was not actually to put themselves over, but to go out and get a wheelie eater over. Versus this week when it was absolutely their job to get themselves back over because this was the week the name was officially going to be announced. Moxley was kind of going to flesh out that last little detail of the story of why he was as invested in this project as uh, Brian. Uh, this wasn't about a wheelie uh, or even, bless him, a Griff Garrison getting any shine. Mm. This was about them being them this week. And I, I love that they're able, they're so they're such pros that they can switch that on and off as and when they need to because that's going to really help when they're welcoming other people into the group. And like, Cesaro still feels like a ghost of this whole thing, just like waiting to reveal himself too, which is no bad thing, you know. Like the whether or not that's as, as a turn on Moxley because Regal kind of favors him, or whether he becomes the next person to add to this long term. It's it's I'm you know I'm not advocating push Cesaro, but I kind of am because he is a perfect fit for this. Mm, absolutely. Uh, then it was time for the star of the show, MJF, to come out. Uh, he's flanked by Sean Spears, of course. There's security standing around ringside just in case that ungrateful bastard decides to show up. Uh, and he talks about Wardlow, saying, oh, what a shame it was you couldn't win the TNT Championship last week. You know, I really was going to let you keep that title, but uh, unfortunately, you weren't good enough to beat Scorpio Sky. Uh, and I, t- I just when I thought, oh, yeah, okay, we're just going to bury Wardlow in this promo, fine. Oh. He uh, just drops a little nugget in about CM Punk. Says, uh, well, you know, clearly you had to cheat to win. Uh, you know, you, I've already beaten you twice. You, I had the next match won, but you had to cheat to win. And uh, we will we will cross paths again at some point. Uh, but even then, it won't be over until I attend your funeral and piss on your grave. <laughs> Magic. He, he said, I'm going to give you, I promise you, I'll give you the most embarrassing defeat of your life. They've just booked something. Yeah. That's what's so amazing about all this. They've just booked something there. That's... Pick what you want. Punk wins the title, and then MJF takes him off it. Takes it off him in three minutes in his first defense. Something that matters. That line, and that's as an addendum to one of the best pieces of business in the last twenty years. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that he said that. Like that was incredible. There was yeah. There's a bit of me right. You ever have that thing where something's so good, you're like, never go back to it because I don't. Want it. It's it's my favorite feud in AEW's history. I've said this, so I'm like, I, and I can defend it now. Nothing. I don't think there's anything that someone could. It could say, you know, you can say Kenny Omega Hangman Page. I think it's it's horses for courses at that point. Um, but it's got such a nice bow on the top mm. of it. And then they tease that, and I go, yeah, reopen it up. Actually, yeah, just keep doing it, keep doing it forever because I love it. And uh, yeah, what it's, what it's a that tease. specific promise? But it's also and, and, there's a nervousness and cruelty to that that I'm worried for the day that Punk has to face those consequences. And yeah. again, like you always say, because. AW, I've got faith and trust in them. I'm not thinking that they're going to turn around next week and go, see a book with MJF. <laughs> but like, I have faith that that's not just a throwaway line. Yeah. Like, they might have something on the docket for two years' bloody time mm-hmm. for this. But we like when they say that, it's not just a, oh, we'll bloody face off in a Money in the Bank match in six months or something <laughs> like that. Um, so anyway, back to Piggy, uh, Wardlow, sorry. Um, he gets <sighs> called Pig by MJF. Um, there's a Wardlow chant, of course. Um, he says, look, if it wasn't for me, no one would know who you are, uh, and you repaid me my cost by costing me the most important match of my life, and then you had the audacity to ask for me to release you from your contract. But unfortunately, you signed a deal with the devil, and I'm going to make your life a living hell, which gets, I think, a Jesus chant from the crowd, to which MJF 
magnificently responds that he's going to nail Wardlow to a cross just like Jesus. <laughs> well, they're not being funny. If they're going to say something that could be interpreted as somewhat anti-Semitic to him, yeah, just yeah. so they chanted Jesus because he called himself the devil, isn't it? Is the idea yes. that like whatever he is, they just want to be represent the opposite of, and it's Texas, of course, it is Texas. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> crowd full of Zandigs. <laughs> Jesus! Jesus! Uh, he says, uh, basically, that he owns Wardlow, and if he deems fit to kick that, quote, skank mother of Wardlow's out of her house, then he's going to have to listen to him. Uh, understandably, all this brings out Wardlow, who starts fighting the security, but there's there's too many. There's like 10, 12 of them by, the, by, by around him at that point. And they don't beat him up. They just restrain him so he can listen to what Maxwell's got to say. Uh, and he reminds Wardlow he doesn't work for AEW. He works for MJF. And that means right now, right here, he's trespassing. And MJF is just going to keep paying Wardlow week after week, month after month, year after year, to stay at home until people forget that he exists. And, and Wardlow gets sent away. He doesn't get dragged off. He's like, I, you know, I'll figure out a way to get my hands on this git eventually, basically. But he's not going to try and beat up 12 security guys. Uh, but MJF, as you alluded to earlier, Hamlet says the Pinnacle aren't over. And starting next week with the FTR, uh, Pinnacle are going to move up in the world. And Spears closes it out by saying, when you're in the Pinnacle, you're always on top. This is absolutely incredible, as expected. Not only did it drive the storyline forward, it creates the mystery of how Wardlow's not only going to wrestle MGF at some point, but even come back. Great, the next block of episodic television is absolutely sorted out. The content of the promo was vile in the best possible way. Continue to heckle MGF every single week because he will come up with a improvised comeback as fabulous as he just did. And they did one of the best versions I can recall of what I will describe as the thing wrestling has to do, but it's often a bit clumsy. And that is, you have to put over your opponent, but you have to bury them for the. So you have to make them seem like they're worth beating, and you have to personally insult them so it feels like the conflict is organic. Sometimes, even though it's necessary in the way to do it, it's a bit clumsy and a bit dark. yes, like. You're an absolute arsehole, I'm going to kill you, and I hate you more than anyone, but you've got really good muscles, and you're really strong. <laughs> like, you have to compliment them at the same time, so it's a bit, it's just a wrestling thing. He didn't articulate any of Wardlow's qualities. He buried him for being a poor nobody who's going to go back to destitution and obscurity, but he had a huge security detail in front of the ring because that was the visual cue of, genuinely, I'm scared of you, <laughs> and this is the visual uh, way to convey that without doing a bit of clumsy sort of wordplay. All of this is fantastic. Yeah, he, he said something like, um, you know, you're only all that you are because of me. So the implicate, so he is all something then. Yeah. Like he's just yeah. like kind of peppered that in there a little bit without, as you say, like saying, oh, you you got big muscles. Um, is Wardo going to sign for Ring of Honor? Ooh. Like that Supercard of Honor. Tony Khan has said he's going to have his hands all over a Supercard of Honor. I know it's going to go ahead to a rampage or something, which is weird. But, you know, we know how he, like, is is this a possible? It was my first thought was when they were laboring hard. And I'm glad they are, by the way, because I think that's the most interesting detail of this. And I'm glad it wasn't. I was worried when he cost against Scorpio Sky that they were going to kind of pull away from that a little bit. Wardle works for him and he absolutely doesn't work. Like the last thing now, what we're going to be pining for is a Wardlow is all elite graphic. Which is quite remarkable, really, considering that he's been with the company two years. When are you going to get that graphic drop? It's going to be awesome. Mm. But in the meantime, could he, yeah, could he, as CM Punk once did, because he signed a contract in the middle of a, in a, a Ring of Honor ring, 
But he's under contract to MGF. Mm, that's true. Yeah. This is almost as good as the John Cena is contracted to the Nexus storyline. It's getting there for me. <laughs> right, backstage. All these MGF segments where he ruins it. MGF is typically involved in some like the elite tier stuff of all elite wrestling. He does this. He's, he's, the one. he's a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, the best friends are backstage. <laughs> Uh, but before we leave, you can basically say anything. Trent stops him and, and you know, he's, he's referencing what happened, obviously, with, with uh, the uh, Blackpool Combat Club, yeah. of course. God, it's so awesome. It's great, isn't it? Uh, but Trent stops him. For our American listeners that, like, don't know Blackpool or, like, assume England to be like, merry old England and all that sort of stuff. It's the Las Vegas of England. <laughs> like, no offence to listeners. I've been to Blackpool a lot. Like, rough as arseholes, Blackpool. Oh, my God. I, I like rough English towns. I'm from a rough northern English town. Blackpool is a rough North English town. I would not want to go to a combat club in Blackpool. I'm from a rough English town, Bygate said, so I'm also allowed to say I've never been to Blackpool, but everything I've ever read about it, it's like... It's magic, my word. Like, my my parents rough. used to take me to Blackpool uh, in, in around the time that the Illuminations were, so yeah. you know, you know, autumn, winter time, basically. Uh, and all I remember is, on the one hand, like you say, just being a wide-eyed child. Oh, my God, look, there's, there's trams going around, and I'm having ice cream, and I'm going in arcades and all the lights. And all of a sudden, my dad being like, don't step too far away from me. <laughs> don't know what's going to be around these corners, basically. So, yeah, perfect. Uh, Billy Regal, kind of chin, young <laughs> Adam Wilborn. Um, Give your eye good bloody thrashing. <laughs> I'm going to teach you a trade, son. Come here. Stretch you out. Uh, Trent stops him though he says I never liked you Wheeler um, these guys have trained you uh, he's talking about Cassidy and and, uh, and, and Chuck of course uh, and, and let you stay with them let you crash on their couch and now you just what you just got your head turned by this this other group or whatever I'm done with you uh, and Wheeler says look I love uh, Orange and, and Trent but uh, sorry I love Orange and, and Chuck never really liked you though either uh, I'm not trying to be the best friend I can be trying to be the best wrestler. I like how, like, Trent's actual kind of dickhead edge is now canon in yeah. storylines. And yeah. it just works so beautifully because he's always had it in him to be, like, you know, he's one of these lowercase twi- Twitter guys. Mm-hmm. He's a bit too cool for school, is, a tr- is Trent. And it's canon now. He's got, he's legitimately got this edge about him. Mm. And they are acknowledging that. It's a total gem, this as well, isn't it? Like, last week, the whole thing was, why would we leave uh, stay with the best friends if this is even remotely on the table and they've fleshed out this idea that Trent would be a bit resentful because Uter effectively replaced him didn't he oh yeah like the best friends brought Willie Uter in without really getting Trent's say so because he was on the shelf mm-hmm. so their hostilities are completely like organic uh, and the best friends can sort of feel a little bit sad they can look at it as Trent why are you being an arsehole you're, all you're doing is pushing him further away so you kind of believe all the, the reasons for everybody doing everything and yeah Uter wanting to be kind of surpassing all of this and beyond this is great as well because it just puts over the Blackpool Combat Club. Mm. Just hope they don't get cursed. Then as available. <laughs> the day that Danielson headbutts Dan Housen oh, in the face, it's going to be I absolutely incredible. all over that white makeup. <laughs> I still keep thinking that time that Moxley was just charging towards him before he got dove onto. <laughs> he just kept walking. I was like, kill him, kill him. <laughs> Uh, Jay Lethal, Adam Cole was next. Back and forth early on. Lethal hits the lethal combination, but Cole gets out of the way of the step-up drop kick, uh, and he's doing the uh, uh, boom on the uh, on the apron to shoot to taunt basically, and just gets kicked at that point. Uh, numerous suicide dives from Jay Lethal, and this brings out Red Dragon on the ramp uh, and uh, taking this into break. Cole takes control, and when we come back, Lethal goes to the figure four, but he gets countered into a pin. Uh, happens a few times, actually. And then on the, uh, I think, third attempt, Lethal manages to get it locked on. 
Cole manages to get to the ropes, and uh, Red Dragon causes a distraction to allow Cole to roll Lethal up for a two count. But uh, as uh, Cole goes for the boom, Lethal counters nicely into a cutter. Uh, Cole reverses the Lethal injection with a super kick. Uh, nice visual that uh, hits a Panama Sunrise as, as, as Lethal's just on on. Uh, Bambi on ice, I think is the best way of describing it. That gets a two count as well. Uh, but this time again, Lethal dodges out of the way of the lowering of the boom. Roll, rolls Cole up, uh, but this causes Red Dragon to, to distract the official. And as uh, this time, Jay Lethal goes for the Lethal Injection. Cole goes for his special move, punch him in the bollocks. Does that, lowers the boom. One, two, three. Uh, let's talk the match, and then we'll talk about what happened afterwards, Hamlet. So the match was good, never great. And a couple of times it... Um, got a little bit too safe, I think, with the high spots. The fans were mad into it by the end, but they were kind of worked into that by wanting to see the big hits rather than anything that... There was no, like, great psychological flow to this in contrast to the first one. There was just bigger moments that the fans were kind of at this point. And I don't say the fans as if I don't exclude myself in this. If I was in that crowd, you kind of trained to pop for and you want to see it live and you want to see the action. That's maybe a little bit of a, a criticism more of Adam Cole at large because it could have been with anyone in there. Like, Jay Lethal can obviously base himself for these things, but a lot of people could have been there. That sort of leads to my big problem with this match, and I, I do have to sort of fold in what happened after the fact. I think, like, this was too much wrestling for wrestling's sake, and I think they got the booking wrong here. If all of this existed solely for the post-match segment, which it did, mm-hmm. really. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, we're going to have another Adam Cole, Hangman Page thing. We're going to have a face-off between them. Book Hangman Page to win a match instead of Adam Cole. He does feel like an afterthought occasionally. I, I've said this a couple of weeks ago. I would much rather, as a world champion, if he's not going to always feel like the, the primary concern of the show, which he never really has done, just have him be like the great wrestler that wins all the time. And exactly. Have him do that. Have it's him. too similar to what they did with Omega, but that was very different because it was bloody Kenny Omega, basically. I am not wrestling as much. It all just felt backdrop to the post-match. So if you're going to have a match that is backdrop, give it to Paige and have him just either defend his title like he did. Ah, sod it. Yeah, I'll get your title match. Or just by showing himself to be the champion. Because ultimately, you're just going to get Tim and Cole having a bit of a back and forth. Anyway. The idea, though, is that Cole needed a singles win over an established star. Yeah, true, yeah. And Jay Lethal has been sort of... I don't particularly like the guy, but he's been positioned as a guy who it's maybe two or three years too late for him to be an A's figure, but he's genuinely great at the craft and very tenured and accomplished and all the rest of it. So I understand what they're doing with Lethal in the role that he's in. This, for me, there were certain moments in this match which was shallow but really exciting, and I was into it by the end. There were certain sequences where, you know, I've been trumpeting the the benefits of this buffet. Like, homogenized sports entertainment sucks. I've hated it for years and years and years. I love the idea of a buffet. In fact, it's so successful that AEW, with its angles, promos, stylistic range, and how diverse it is, it's like a hub for wrestling and all the best bits of it that I can't really get into other promotions at this point. I, I just can't. Everything I want is in there. So I'm a huge proponent of the buffet, but mm. there were certain times when they were going through these sort of counter-driven sequences where they were very obviously kind of cooperating with each other to arrive at big spots, I thought they were damned by the comparison to Dax versus Punk mm-hmm. in terms of what a effective worked struggle they did in that opener to the point where it kind of exposed this style on the same night in such quick succession as more choreographed than it would ordinarily mm. look. And the shock face kick out. And so you need to stop doing that. I think one of the reasons that Adam Cole that I think is... There's an off-quality to Adam Cole. I don't think there's a single person 
in good faith who said, this Adam Cole run is an unqualified, amazing success. Mm. I think everyone, to varying degrees, has said, oh, there's something not quite amazing, five-star about all of this. And I keep trying to articulate what it is. It's I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's too many stars at this point, where a star of his wattage just doesn't feel like as big as he could be with a more disciplined-sized roster. I don't know if... Because he was booked really well in WWE. He didn't need to reinvent himself. He didn't need to prove, like, a Miro or a Moxley that he could be so much better than he was. He's kind of just made a lateral move. And when the other moves have felt like such a sobering indictment Mm. of the WWE system that it just... It doesn't feel as dramatically different or brilliant with Adam Cole. It just feels like he's made a lateral move, playing kind of the same role, doing kind of the same matches, kind of the same tropes, and it just doesn't feel like this huge reckoning of a broken WWE system. Maybe that's got something to do with it. I I, I really don't know. He certainly inherited one problem from WWE. I want to cheer him. I'm ready for babyface Adam Cole in AEW way sooner than I thought I would be. I know there's a bigger story that they're... I'm assuming at least they're still telling with Omega and the books and things like that. But I'm watching him, and especially because I don't feel like he's remotely a threat to Hangman Page, he already feels like he's outstayed his welcome as a heel. Mm. And we were kind of already there in NXT. We were desperate to have him as a babyface, and WWE just refused to do it. I already think we're at that point. It's taken less than a year, and I already feel like we're there in AEW. It's like, I know you've got the big match, and God knows when Kenny's going to be back, but like lean in as soon as possible. Because like Cole's... Pretty much spent for a uh, spent force as a heel. Yeah, he, uh, he cut a promo afterwards. But he's so. sorry. He's so over. We can't not say that. Oh yeah, he oh, yeah. is so over. He got uh, one of your favorite things of going to an AW show. He still would be. He's, yeah. he's incredibly over. His catchphrase. It's not just that, but like he gets one of the biggest pops. His call and responses. It's thunderous. Even in the matches, and bear in mind, he had a main event AW pay per view match, which is so difficult to make loud. He made loud. Mm-hmm. He's an absolute megastar, and yet. He could still be even better. He's a Randy Orton, but the work's good. Yeah, he's, he's that pros. <laughs> he's that pros pro wrestler wrestler yeah. type figure, but it's he's way more eternally over. Yeah. Eternally over. He grabbed a mic, said nobody deserved the AW World Championship more than him. Said Hangman Page was scared of him. He knows that he's the one who's going to take the title off him. Uh, he's, he's trying to bait him out, and it works. Basically, out comes Hangman Page to a massive numbers disadvantage. Uh, but he doesn't care. He uh, whips all three of them with his belt. Uh, but then Cole, again, special move, hits these low blow and they beat him down. Who should make the save but Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus and Christian Cage, I should say. Uh, but Adam Cole steals the world title and leaves. It's a thing. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of people stealing world titles. I Case by case with belt theft. Sometimes it's really, really entertaining. It's always dependent on the, the principal characters involved. I would like a belt theft angle substantially more if I didn't feel a belt was horribly, horribly disrespected. Oh, we're like, just about to get to that. A segment later. Like, dis- disastrous in terms of, like, how he's agented and laid this out. I suppose they could give uh, Hangman Page an interim title for the time being. Uh, Lance Archer, uh, Dustin Rhodes, nice promo package for Rampage, which we will, of course, preview on the uh, Rampage preview tomorrow because I have to get to Sammy Guevara and Tay Conti. They are in the ring, um, cutting a promo and being asked about, you know, the state of affairs considering what's happened to them in recent weeks. And Guevara says, I haven't got the TNT championship anymore or the other one, Uh, but he does have this ring. He is always going to put on a great show. no, he all he really wants in uh, is the fans' appreciation. He knows about people saying 
you're going to kill yourself. Uh, or you're going to take years off. You can't keep taking these bumps. But he doesn't give a damn. Uh, Conti cuts uh, a, a, a promo in Portuguese, I'm going to say. Uh, but then translates for herself and says she just wants payback. And she was going to kick Paige Van Zandt's ass just like she got during her entire MMA career. Um, this brings out um, American top team, Dan Lambert. Uh, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page, who's great to hear, by the way, has signed a new contract with AEW. Um, and Lambert introduces them all, Ethan Page, uh, not as the tightest tits in the game, uh, but as the, one of the only things that Canada's gotten right in a long old time, basically. Uh, he says he is the most popular co-TNT champion of all time. And then you've also got uh, Paige Van Zant, the biggest signing in AEW history, uh, but also as part of her contract, she said she wouldn't appear in stained towns like Austin, Texas, which obviously gets a reaction. Um, and uh, you can go and check her out on her Patreon, I think it was, uh, $9.99. I mean, she's the reason why Orange Cassidy keeps his hands in his pockets all day, basically. What's, what's that implying? To conceal his hard cack. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, because, because he's got a oh, play with his hard cack. Um, And then he brings up uh, Scorpio Sky, TNT champion, uh, a man who hasn't lost a match uh, since uh, since Tony Khan reached puberty. Um, And then he turns his attentions to the the guys in the ring, Tiny Tim and his girlfriend, Lucha Horus. Um, He says, look, they've got no interest in... uh, in She's in a monogamous committed relationship. And she's a woman. But uh, he says they've got no interest in, in any matches, any rematches or anything. Uh, and if they ever want to get their hands on the team... Being sexually promiscuous is fine. Yep. Just in case I feel like that was not made obvious by the last thing I said. Yes. Um, and he says, if you want you know, the TNT Championship match, you can kiss it goodbye. And he takes off the uh, interim TNT Championship and he mwah, plants a smacker on it. Uh, and they say, say the wrong, th- wrong thing. I'm not even... Say the line, Will it's not even the it's not even the thing that they said that everyone's gone mental about. You can't be a babyface and use the phrase rent free because that's what all dickheads on the internet say. But that's <laughs> what they say anyway. They say they've been living rent free. He's a dickhead on the internet. In Sammy Lambert. Guevara is a dickhead on the internet. <laughs> yeah. They say they've been living rent free in Dan Lambert's head. Uh, but he, uh, if only he knew what uh, they did, uh, what he and Tate did whilst they were wearing that belt. <laughs> they now live in Dan's mouth too. Were you confused by this? A little bit confused. So you didn't know what they were getting at? No. I think it was like a combination of cum and pussy juice. (laughs) (laughs) Pussy juice is such a 14-year-old boy thing to say, isn't it? A little bit of pussy juice. I felt (laughs) pussy juice and dick splash. (laughs) I felt like (laughs) jeans. As much as we are laughing about it, you guys weren't a fan of this. I thought this was a complete disaster. Tonally, it was right there with Brandon Cody versus Dan Lambert. So you've not done an upgrade or downgrade, you've done the same grade. You know, that, <laughs> you know the segments where everybody was a complete arsehole? Have some more of it. Why? Why would you do this? Why would Why would you have not heard this thing and then actually looked at the Cody and Brandy exit as a bit of a lucky escape and thought, ooh, we've probably got out of trouble there because people considered those two segments to be the worst in Dynamite history. And it's like, can we not get that with anybody else in the roster? Have we got anybody else that might piss people off just as much? And, right, and I... As Cedric often says, we talk about this in the office before we press record because we love this stuff, right? But I wanted to kind of, I don't know, double check with you guys that I wasn't coming across as certain other podcasters that say things to be heard rather than to say things analytically. Bad faith actors that do nearly as well as we do in the podcast charts, mm. but I don't necessarily believe all the criticisms. When you're top who, of the mountain, it's hard to see who's below you, but yeah, granted. Who espouse... Mount cer- of omnipotence. <laughs> <laughs> 
they espouse certain old values of the industry, tennis racket in hand, and they use that as the that racket as the stick to beat AW with when they did just the silly stuff in their own. Like, I used to love him. Wish I could still love him, just earnestly. Anyway, I didn't want to be him by saying, like, where are we at with shagging on the belts? Where are we at with jizz on the belts? Because the belts are why everybody goes to work in wrestling. That's why they turn up for work. That's what this is all about. That's why Hangman Page is pissed off one segment ago that he's had it taken off him because he had to do like he had to fight through mental and physical health crises to win that belt from Kenny Omega. That's what all of this is for. That's why Kenny Omega was a belt collector. That's why John Moxley kept the train on the tracks for the whole world in 2020. Coming on a belt is a heel thing, and they're presenting this this stupid broy corner of this company. Sex is cool. It's like nothing makes you sound like more like a virgin. That's yeah, Daniel Garcia. Was it Daniel Garcia who tweeted them? Was that why he used to like the, he, he tweeted? Oh, guys, have you had sex? <laughs> yeah, like that's the, the sort of tragic irony of all of this is like nothing could be lamer than them thinking that like being cool because it sucks. I, I I hated this. Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti have experienced some pretty awful times, I imagine, over the last six months on through the people in social media. That have oh no, yeah, have absolutely. no place with which to pass comment on their life. What they will do here is amplify that through the roles they're being asked to portray. And that's less than ideal as well. And we are yet again, this is a Sidgwick take, so I'm, I want to use this as a segue to you rather than just out and out steal it. How are they not finding baby faces for Dan Lambert again? How is uh, this heel should be perfect for anybody to get cheered for, and they are doing it wrong again. And Eddie Kingston alludes to this on Twitter, but the TNT title is especially. Yeah, it's got an absolute... I didn't even consider that. It's yeah. got a sacred reverence that you just shouldn't be doing any of this juvenile nonsense with... Um, Yes, it's absolutely abysmal, and there's just layers and layers and layers and layers upon layers of just terrible things about it. Sammy Guevara's come, Dan Lambert being repulsed by, there's homophobic overtones to this, just mm-hmm. on top of absolutely everything else. So it's, I personally find it disrespectful. I know a lot of people have a laugh at that on Twitter. Uh, I just don't like it at all. In terms of character and all the rest of it, again, like you cannot possibly, unless you're incompetent, and this company really isn't, make Dan Lambert not the biggest heel. He's How do you turn Jim Cornette not a heel in AEW, which is absolutely ridiculous. All this is absolute nonsense. And Sammy Guevara in take, Ty Conti, Ty Conti, like, like Tony Conti has to have a word. Instead, as Hamlet very accurately points out, they are probably, not that it's absolutely justified, but they are probably going to be subject to more abuse about their relationship. But that being said, they can have all the fun they want. They are absolutely free to broadcast all the fun that they're having. All the sexy, wet, slidey, friction fun with their hot bodies, all the full sex (laughs) they have. Missionary, doggy style, on top, all the positions. All the the positions. The the real sex hammers. (laughs) People are going to resent this. Mm. They are they are young, incredibly good looking people having vigorous sex sessions. They've said that <laughs> they posted a picture of um you know when they did when they got beat up last week and she was on top of him, they were both killed on the ring. Take on E like when <laughs> that's us after the fourth round. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is that um they've had full vaginal, maybe even anal intercourse <laughs> on f- with his with a penile refractory period of which the 30-something male could only be completely jealous because that's <laughs> long since gone of the, of the mid-20s. Are they going to do that as well? Are they going to bounce these criticisms back and be like, oh, sorry, you guys don't have enough sex like we do? Is that, like, People, are we going to be seen as like 
prudish mm. mugs for being critical of this broadly. Is that, is that how they're going to reframe yeah, this possibly. as baby faces? But like, who cares? Yeah, they are like Ric Flair in that space station studio. Jim Crocker goddamn promotions, right? Said the as a heel, the reason why you hate me, the reason why I'm one of the best heel acts ever, the reason why I've drawn more money than a lot of people in AW ever have or ever will, is because you want to know that people are doing well, but you don't want to know that they're doing better than you. Sammy Guevara's entire character is better than everyone, guys. A Brazilian babe. She's not on the belt, maybe her face at the same time. Four times in a day, at a minimum. <laughs> minimum. I'm a champion. You know, get all the pops from going crazy through table. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible baby face work. Do you remember that um, Inner Circle segment that time where Sammy, like Jericho gave Sammy the mic and he said something and you could see Jericho like wasn't best impressed and he's like, can I do it again? Hard elbow from like dad. So like, do that, but do it better. I feel like he needs to go back to it. Do all that, do it better. Yeah. <laughs> all that from this, just do it better. Right, should we move on? Yes, please. Sammy, you finished? Okay, thanks. Uh, <laughs> no, the penile refractory period. Nothing to Sammy Guevara. I've got it. Oh. <laughs> uh, it wasn't even his cock. <laughs> video, video promo for Ricky Starks versus Swerve Strickland for the FDW Championship. Cool smash of all time, but yeah. I'm not going to talk about it. No, we're going to get too excited. Uh, we'll Swerve's another Rampage exclusive. The figure out to make Rampage great, by the way, is just having people that never wrestle on Dynamite. It's the alternate preview as well. Oh, you can have this one. No, no, you can have it. I have to send you a SmackDown <laughs> for the sake of being a fair and equal friendship. Uh, and then we get uh, Red Velvet versus uh, Legit Layla Hirsch. And God bless the United States. Chris Allen has banned from ringside. Uh, I don't know. It's felt a bit off. I don't know whether on different Because the crowd don't care about women's wrestling yeah. because they've been conditioned not to care about women's wrestling for two and a half years. So despite some pretty damn effective and accomplished and cohesive work, the likes of which Red Velvet should be getting praise because it's uh, an evolution of her like her professional career, no one gives a toss about it. And it was hard to care about the decent work within this and the tone and the showmanship and the body language. A lot of good things in this match. I can't possibly care about it because it's just so infectious at this point. I tweeted yesterday, complimenting the women's division, and they made a goddamn asshole out of me 12 hours later. So I didn't really appreciate that. The death spot is still the death spot when they want it to be the death spot. It's still the Divas division piss break. Um, adverts, if you happen to be watching this with adverts, cut this to ribbons as well, which didn't help the wrestlers. Uh, yeah, the Red Velvet one stuck out the most. Like, Layla Hirsch has been getting the shine, and obviously, as I've kind of talked about on the preview, that feels like the Thunder Rosa thing was... A Bit of an inconvenience because they wanted to get back to where they were on this run that she was on since breaking away from her friends. Um, but none of it, none of the messaging cut through. The match was neither here nor there because it never really felt focused upon. You were supposed to be paying more attention to the angle and if and when Statlander, because she was banned from ringside, how exactly she would, after the fact, make her appearance. Because you knew she would because she couldn't in mm -hmm. the, the body of the match itself. It's quite funny, I get. This is what I was trying to articulate on Twitter and I probably didn't do a very good job of it I think even when the matches suffer or are just not that great I think they're doing a really good job of giving these women characters 
you were really starting to know who all these individuals were. And once you've got characters, that's the hard part done. You can bring characters in. I'm really enjoying Leo Hirsch, right? Loves that turnbuckle hook so much. She keeps a spare one just in case. Yeah. She can use the sort of Eddie Guerrero, take this one because I'm going to use the other one. That is a character. That trait. was a nice spot. I like yeah, that. Along with the other character traits he builds up. So you're starting to know all these people and you know Red Velvet and you know Chris Statlander. And a lot of it was on Dark, but they tried to profile it with graphics and all that. So I really do feel like I want to compliment all mm. this earnest success stuff. But it's going to take so much longer to deal with the big picture problems, and they were at play here and in the next women's segment on the show, which again well, was like less than ideal. Yeah, you said you said you can't the women's division; they made you look stupid. We've not heard from the world champion yet, so we'll, we'll hold up, hold breath for that one. Hirsch attacks uh, during Red Velvet's entrance as she stood on the apron, basically. But Velvet takes control; they're bouncing off the barricades and uh, a step up Hurricane Runner off the steel steps. They finally get in the ring, and the bell actually rings. Then at that point, uh, Hirsch takes control to take us to a break. When we come back, Velvet just starts kicking her. Basically, uh, she counters. Hirsch does a, a springboard though into a German. Uh, Velvet comes back though, hits that mixed kick of hers that, that finished uh, Layla Hirsch off the other week. Oh no. Last week. And uh, Hirsch, this time, knows what to do and rolls out of the ring before she can get covered. Goes underneath it, gets the turnbuckle, as you mentioned, but she's got another uh, turnbuckle that she hides in her gear. So the referee takes one and she clonks Red Velvet for the other one. One, two, three. Post-match, uh, Hirsch continues to attack Red Velvet, puts her in the cross-arm breaker, and Chris Statlander, in her new changed gear, comes down to send her packing. We've got Jay Cargill backstage. They're talking about her 30-0 record, the match that's going to seal that, basically. And Jay is not even bothered now about talking about her opponent. She's uh, she's planning on the celebration. Everything green. Bloody Lamborghini, confetti, everything like that. Something but something better than, than what Thunder Rosa got, basically, last week. Uh, exotic dan- dancers and a section for her baddies, basically. Uh, but she'll take care of whatever she wears. And she, like I said, she just doesn't care who she has to face and who she's going to beat for. 30 and 0. I want to talk next, though, about what happened with, with Thunder Rosa. They're on the ramp. They do the usual. Tony Schiavone introduces the new AW Women's World Champion, Thunder Rosa, and she's barely got the mic in her hand. She doesn't get any words out before we get an excuse me from Vicky Guerrero. And I thought, okay, right, perfect first opponent for Thunder Rosa, potentially. I love Nyla Rose. It's a shame she's not going to be, you know, genuinely considered as a challenger because it's the first defense battle will be up and then we'll probably get more you know chances of speculating as to whether or not the title will change hands once we get to you know the next pay-per-view or whatever but the fact that you had Vicky Guerrero of all people going you're not from around here you're Mexican why don't you take your green card and piss off basically and this is all just a spot for uh, distracting her so Nyla Rose can jump her and lay her out and, and Vicky Guerrero can say Nyla Rose is a true champion. Thunder Rosa versus Nyla Rose on paper is a great match. The way they set this up was dreadful. It really was. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, low effort, low energy optics at play here. Um, I love Nyla Rose and I like Lance Archer. But you, you can't stop using the cheat code. Like, I cannot keep watching this Insta feud built up because they're the obvious perfect first challenger. I cannot, like, it's okay for Booker to have the tricks and the tropes, but this one is too transparent and I cannot, like, I can't stomach it anymore. Too overdone. Yeah, mm. massively. So with the, the exact wrestlers, no less, not just the actual, like, the plot point. Um, so I felt nothing for this. They don't tell stories of Nyla Rose. They just insert her in this role every now and then they need to. And something I hadn't considered until you were doing your review of it there was I really like the Jade Cargill promo. I thought it was really good fun. Like she just brings this fantastic energy, and I just buy what she's selling every single time. But the fact that you packaged 
all of the woman stuff within like a 25 minute period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a hideous look. Don't worry, the lads are on for the main event later. All right, like Jake Cargill, like, was, that, that was a good segment on its own terms, but the fact you put the three together, like, drags that down uh, off the back of the fact that the other two were pretty lousy. It's really, really disappointing. It's, it, it is an ugly look that you have the microphone pulled away from Thunder Rosa before she says a word because it's wrestling and we watch enough wrestling to know that that might mean that they don't have faith in her, which is unfair too. And the road too, have you seen the road yeah, too? Yeah, unfair week? too because she can talk. She can, like, either. this was all wrong and the outcome is pretty dispiriting because it's the Nyla Rose match. How did they do something worse than the cheeseburger celebration? <laughs> That's uh, a very good point. How did they do something worse than that? Uh, yeah, this is ugly for the reasons that everyone's going to point out. This was it just marginalised and diminished under Rose's agency. It's incredibly rote booking that no one's going to care about. All of this is an absolute disaster. Battle of the Belts is on the co- on, like is potentially going to reek again. Like, if you're thinking this is going to be Colin Page and Nyla Rose and Thunder Rosa. Ugh. I, 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 for the second one in a row. The worst thing is that this so like sort of instantly infamously bad, this Thunder Rose and Isla Rose segment, is that they're making such a big deal out of the Jade Cargill number 30 opponent. They're probably going to bring someone really cool in. Yeah, exactly. They've probably got something really cool up their sleeves, but no one's talking about that because they've done something so bad that that's obviously going to dominate the conversation. Mm. That's going to be fine. Battle of the Belts will be fine because we're going to get the House of Black winning the tag titles. Yeah, that would be cool. Don't worry about it. That's Danielson and Mox. Hey, I talked about them, and I thought, oh, no, they've got more fun of, like, recruiting for a bit, and then they can win the tag titles. Battle, of the, belt. Battle of the Belts that are covered in cum. <laughs> they, they are doing the uh, the speed run Rankins climb. Mm. That's a conversation for another day. Indeed. Uh, main event time. Jericho Appreciation Society, represented uh, by Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia versus Dark Order, represented by John Silver and, and Alex Reynolds. Uh, Silver actually out-wrestled Jericho to start with. Uh Took him out with a high kick on the floor, and then there was this mad tope to a suicida brainbuster combo they hit on the outside as well. And uh, I told you about this beforehand. It's early in the morning, so I'm easily bemused. Dark order pose, and Jericho kicks the steps into what I thought was in frustration, and then goes down. And I was like, "Oh, weren't we meant to see that? Weren't we? What's going on?" But of course, I'm an idiot because. He's getting Alan Angels and Ten kicked out from ringside by going, oh, and then obviously you've got uh, Cool Hand, uh, Ange, and uh, Daddy Magic going, oh, he's, just, he's just bloody sent him into the steps, Rev. <laughs> like, the, the, the something that is very close to, to the, the three of our hearts is, as an English football fan, when a player wants to get his opponent booked and he does the fake waving of the yellow card, it Boils our blood. We see it happen in international tournaments all the time when countries play the, the greatest footballing nation of all time. And um, yeah, this was Brazil. that. This, that <laughs> this was this was that. Uh, this was that in, in wrestling form. But I adored it obviously because of who was doing it. So yes, they get kicked out from ringside. Um, and still, though, you've got uh, Silver and Reynolds who are making a comeback. When we come back from the break, that gets cut off. Uh, Jericho goes to the Lion Salt, but Reynolds, who's been isolated for a long time, gets out of the way and finally gets to Silver for the hot tag that we've seen so many times. He runs over everyone in this mad combo of, of moves, but eventually when he gets back into the ring to face his legal opponent, he gets hit with a code breaker for a two count. Garcia comes in. But Reynolds gets a blind tag, and they uh, hit s- several great combo uh, offenses to conclude with a diving sort of jackknife pin that gets a two count as well. Again, Silver goes to to 
remove the uh, advantage on the outside by taking out all the rest of the uh, Jericho Appreciation Society, but he gets caught by the big lummox. Jake Hager, who just goes, nope, not a second time, slams him on the floor. Uh, and in the ring, Garcia takes the official. As Reynolds comes off the uh, ropes, he gets clonked with Floyd the Bat and uh, gets put in the Scorpion Deathlock for the submission victory for the Jericho Appreciation Society. Uh, Sige, I know you love this main event. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was absolutely class, completely all action, and it was like an exponential growth chart of pops. <laughs> like It never lulled for a moment. And Chris Jericho, if you, what a finish guy he is. I know sometimes in singles, in the singles context, given his advancing years, not anymore, like he looks 10 years <laughs> younger, I know that some of his singles matches haven't hit perfectly because of you know his age and his the wear and tear on his body. I can't think of a single Chris Jericho match in AEW with a finish that wasn't fantastic. Like uh, he's such a good finish guy. This is such a good finish. Such a severely underrated tag guy. Like me and Hamlet are the we know the truth. <laughs> we know the goddamn truth. The Hager tag team's great. Did some wonderful stuff with the Sex Gods. Um, yeah, yeah. What great! That's, that's obviously where Sammy got it from. Yeah, <laughs> the great, great. Tag team wrestler and finish guy. And this was young Buxian in terms of how it was constructed. The John Silver bit. You knew, I was like, he's doing his thing. This is awesome all over again. And then he, he's like, oh, Hager's there, so you can't do anything to Hager. And oh, he can't because he can get powerbombed. The Hurricane Ron as well was absolutely tremendous. And then John Silver, his whole thing is he's this irrepressible, incorrigible little guy. Doesn't know how small he is. He is, in the end, too small, and Hager just absolutely killed him on the outside. But before that, after he'd done this thing that delighted you, not only do you want him to win, you think he can win, and then he gets hit with a cold breaker. Like, Chris Jericho knows how to lay out the goddamn hell of a match, and I thought this was terrific. The finish was great. He's always going to use the bat, and I didn't know that he's going to use the bat because he'd just arranged this match in such a great way that it felt like a bastard's trick because he'd... Showed so much ass here. It was so selfless. It was like the last refuge of the scoundrel, that finish, and it just came out of nowhere, but in the best possible way because, of course, he was going to do that. Mm-hmm. I thought this was terrific main event professional wrestling. Yeah, I didn't love this, but I love how much fun Cedric's had. That was it. so good. Like, re- like, really do. Like, I find that, like, kind of enthusiasm infectious for a match that was, like, obviously trending at a certain level anyway. And then it's like, well, can some, like, listen to that sort of analysis of it can make me think actually yeah, I think I did think more of this I think I was more drawn in at certain points I have an issue but it's not specifically isolated to this match we've talked about this before because um, I don't really have anything else to add I thought this was a like I thought at the time this was a functional main event maybe I've been a bit unfair this is more fun than I could I'm the high guy on this I am the high guy I will say I have a slight issue with Silver and Reynolds specifically in the Dark Order they have their cake and eat it too in AW a lot with these two you get these matches where Silver especially has the, he like, just brings so much excitement, like so much dynamism to these matches. And then the commentators are telling you that they're working their way back up the rankings again. But who were the first opponents that were fed to Jurassic Express because they were easy pickings? It was these two. Mm-hmm. I, I don't ever really know quite what to make of these. They're kind of asking me to believe them as main eventers here, as genuine threats to a Chris Jericho tag team. Brand new stable tag team at that. And then in the body of the match, you get all these moments where you're like, oh yeah, they are a threat. They're not really a threat. So I, I kind of don't really know where to take the Dark Order at this point. If they're so great, why didn't Hangman Page pick them in the first place? Start asking other like questions about where exactly they fit in at the moment. But the work, objectively, of, of course, was tremendous at points. 
Really enjoyable main event. Uh, and uh, like I say, a, a, a near-perfect dynamite, aside from some flaws in the middle there. But do let us know your thoughts uh, on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And if you haven't done so already, what are you bloody playing at? Order becoming all elite, the rise of AEW <laughs> on Amazon if you want to, if you want to. Uh, and uh, if you want to do as well, get some beers in in time for WrestleMania. You can do so from our friends at Top Rope Brewing, uh, including our very own clickbait thumbnail named by the brilliant Michael Sidgwick. Uh, it's a 5.1% YPA. Uh, you can get that <laughs> along with 11 other delicious beers for the low, low price of £45, including free shipping if you enter the code Here's Why at checkout. Again, apologies to our international listeners, but this is only for our European listeners. Um, you can get them right now at topropebrewing.com. Make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, of course, as I mentioned with the AEW Rampage preview coming tomorrow too. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.